The sermon text for this morning is uh, Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. As we are uh, coming to uh, the end of our series through uh, the book of Joshua. One of the uh, privileges of being a pastor is um, sitting with people who are near death and hearing them talk about the Lord and reflect on their lives and on God's faithfulness to them. Uh, Knowing that death is imminent has a way of causing people, especially Christians, uh, to see what is to be prioritized in life. You know, at that point, people usually don't care about frivolous things. At that point, they only care about what truly matters, what matters for eternity. I remember uh, visiting with uh, Judy Ravert a few days before she died. Uh, Judy was a member of our church for a long time, and she passed away one year ago. And I remember our last conversation about how uh, Judy reflected on her life, how she reflected about her cares and concerns for her children and uh, for her grandchildren. But I most remember how confident she was in Christ. She, at that moment, had her priorities straight. And here in Joshua chapter 23, uh, we get to listen in together on Joshua's last instructions to the people of Israel. His last instructions before he died. Uh, These are, we might say, among his famous last words. And the instructions Joshua gives to Israel are still instructive for us as believers today. Because Joshua here, he speaks uh, not just as a wise believer, um, but he speaks as the leader of Israel. As one who saw the unfaithfulness of the previous generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt. He is the one who saw how they rebelled against the Lord. And now he speaks to this generation generation of Israelites who are in the promised land, and he speaks as a leader who is concerned about this generation, concerned about his people. He remembers how easily his, uh, their parents were tempted to turn away from the Lord. He remembers how easily they were led away by sinful temptations. And so Joshua lovingly warns those now living in the promised land about how to live in covenant faithfulness, how to live in a committed relationship with the Lord. He begins by exhorting Israel, we see, to be very confident in the Lord as they remember the Lord's past faithfulness to his people. We read in verses 1 through 5 of our text this morning from Joshua chapter 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you, Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations 
that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Notice how Joshua in these famous last words uh, briefly summarizes God's past faithfulness to Israel. Verse 3 he says, the Lord, your God, who has fought for you. See, Joshua here is recalling how God gave his people victory in battle. Victory even against cities that were much stronger than them. Even against cities that seemed impenetrable. Cities like the great city of Jericho. Then in verse 4, we read that God not only fought for Israel, but Joshua recalls how God allotted to them an inheritance. He gave his people this land. Notice how Joshua doesn't emphasize Israel's strength or might. He doesn't emphasize Israel's military strategy, but throughout verses 1 through 5, the emphasis is on God's activity for his people, God's working for his people. And by recounting God's past faithfulness, you see that Joshua is doing more than just giving the leaders of Israel a history lesson. He wants them to remember God's past faithfulness in order that they might gain greater confidence and assurance in the Lord for the future. Many of the Psalms adopt this same pattern. In our Psalm of the Month, for example, Psalm 16 that we just sang, uh, King David, in that Psalm, he describes the Lord as a refuge and he describes the Lord as his chosen portion as the one who gives him counsel now what is King David doing in this psalm what he's doing is he's reflecting on who God is on God's character and God's faithfulness and after reflecting on all of that David writes in verses 9 and 10 therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. Did you hear how he begins there in verse 9? He begins with a therefore, which connects all that he knows about God to his confidence about God's future faithfulness. That is what David is resting in. Loved ones, this is one of the principles of faith that we each need to adopt in our own faith life. Often when uh, we lack assurance in the Lord, it is because we fail to remember all that God has done for us. The greatest demonstration of his love being Christ's death on the cross. And in remembering that, allowing that to strengthen our faith for the future. Jesus himself expects this of us as his followers. In one instance, Jesus' disciples were uh, caught in a storm at sea. And we read that Jesus walked to them on the sea. It's not something you see every day. We read in Mark chapter 6, beginning at, at verse 48, that Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when they saw him, they were terrified. That was their response. And, and in their response, we're not sure if they were more terrified of the waves or of the fact that Jesus was walking to them on the sea the water but immediately jesus spoke to them and said take heart it is i do not be afraid and then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased 
And they were utterly astounded. And then in this passage in, in Mark chapter 6, Mark adds this little detail. It says they were astounded and because the disciples did not understand about the loaves. They did not understand about the loaves. What does that mean? That little detail refers to the miracle in which Jesus multiplied the bread and fish and he fed 5,000 men. That miracle happened just before this one in which Jesus walked on the water and, that, and right before he stilled the storm. And what Mark is, is reflecting on when he says that the disciples did not understand about the Lord, uh, about the loaves, it's a rebuke against them. See, the disciples should have reasoned from faith. They should have connected, we might say, the theological dots and said, you know, if Jesus, if he can feed 5,000 men by multiplying a few loaves and fish, surely he can deliver us from this storm. And so when we lack assurance and confidence in the Lord, loved ones, we too need to reason from faith, to remember that the one who was willing to shed his own blood so that we might be saved is the same one who cares for us on a daily basis, moment by moment, even during the raging storms in our lives, even in the greatest difficulties that we might face, God's faithfulness will endure. Joshua, we see next, exhorts Israel to be very strong. Verses 6 through 10. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Now this is a, such a practical exhortation from Joshua. He is calling Israel to spiritual strength. And this strength, he says, this strength is measured by their obedience to God's word. Notice again verse 6. Be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. As one commentator notes, he says, spiritual strength, the kind of strength that Joshua is talking about, spiritual strength is found in obedience to the word of God without deviation holding fast to what God has revealed in his word. And God's word, which for Israel at this time consisted of the first five books of, of Moses, the books that uh, Moses wrote, God outlined what it meant for Israel to live in obedience to him. And, and you know, central to that obedience was worshiping God alone. Israel would have to refrain from idolatry. This was central to Israel's obedience to God. And so Joshua here is, is warning them about this because Joshua, having been part of Israel all his life, 
He knows that some of the tribes failed to drive out the inhabitants, and he knows the people's tendency toward idolatry, idolatry uh, toward the gods of those that remain, the Canaanites that remain in their midst. Some of the tribes failed to drive out the Canaanites from the land during the con. Uh, the conquest. We uh, read a few weeks ago some specific examples of the tribes that failed to obey the Lord. Uh, Joshua chapter 16, verse 10, we read that the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, for example, did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. And then again in Joshua chapter 17, verses 12 through 13, Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. See, these tribes did not obey the Lord, and as a result, the Canaanites remained in the land, and they became a snare to the Israelites. Because rather than the Canaanites being converted to faith in the one true God, the God of Israel, we know from our Bibles that the Canaanites instead influenced the Israelites to bow down to their false gods. And that is why Joshua, with these uh, last few moments of Israel, of influence over Israel, he says in verse 7, he says that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. See, Joshua here is referring to holy separation. Holy separation of, of Israel from the nations around them. And loved ones, this applies to us as uh, believers today. There is a sense in which we are called to be separated from the world. When the Lord Jesus prayed for us in the high priestly prayer, as recorded in John chapter 17, he prayed to the Father, and he said, beginning in verse 14, he said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. There's a sense, there's a sense isn't there, in which once we trust in Christ, and we hear about that uh, glorious inheritance that awaits us in eternity, we want to be immediately taken out of this world. The Apostle Paul admitted this very thing when he said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But we see, loved ones, in Jesus' prayer for us, for you and for me, for all believers, that we are to remain in the world. And as we remain here, that we are to continually be sanctified by his word which is truth. And so God's purpose for us as believers is not to withdraw from the world, but instead to be in the world and to influence it continually for good, to be salt 
and light to our neighbors. And yet, yet, even as we are in the world, there still remains a holy separation that we are called to. We need to remain distinct from unbelievers around us. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2, that we are living sacrifices, he says, and our lives are lived in service to the Lord. And in that service, we must not be conformed to the pattern of this world, to the ways of this world, to the thinking of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of our minds. See, this is the holy separation that the Bible speaks of. It's a call for you and I to remain distinct from the world. And this call simply means that we remain distinct by living in obedience to God's word in a world that completely rejects God's word. And it even means at times that we are to be uh, physically separated from non-believers. Now, I'm not talking here about uh, setting up monasteries and uh, moving away and hiding away from the world, but you know, one practical example of physical separation that the Bible speaks about is that uh, Christians must not marry non-Christians, as the Apostle Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's a practical demonstration of, of holy separation from unbelievers. And so in this life as Christians, our calling, loved ones, is not to hide away from the world, but our calling is to be witnesses to our risen and ascended Lord. We are to witness to Christ and, and to be willing to suffer for that witness if that is what God has ordained for us. And we are called to love and serve our neighbors in our worldly callings, in our jobs, in our employments, and what we are called to do in our families. Now, there is the fact that we read in the Bible that we are living in a tension, and this tension between what some theologians call the already and the not yet. In other words, that Christ's kingdom is already inaugurated and it's present, and yet we wait patiently for the renewal of all things, for his return at the end of the age. And as we wait patiently, we are to live for God's glory. How do we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we do that by working with our hands, just as uh, he did, so that our lives may win the respect of outsiders and so that we will not be dependent on anybody. Paul is saying, show your distinction, distinction from the world in your works, in your deeds, in the way that you think, and in your work ethic. Show that you are a disciple of Christ in these very simple things. Michael Horton writes, as Christians, we are waiting for that day when Christ returns and makes the kingdoms of this age the kingdom of Christ. Until then, we are called neither to change the world nor abandon it, but to love and serve our neighbors to the best of our ability. Sometimes as Christians, we can make a significant and measurable impact on the world around us, but our focus should not be on these great achievements and changing the world. The Bible instead calls us that our, to, to focus our attention upon Christ, put our faith in him, and to show our love for Christ by loving our neighbors as ourselves. So we do good works not for our status, but for the glory of God 
and the good of others. So Joshua exhorts Israel too. And lastly, we see that Joshua instructs Israel to be very careful, to be very careful. We read in verses 11 through 16, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and, uh, to go and, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Now the care that Israel needed to have was in their love for the Lord. In, in their maintaining the covenant relationship that the Lord had established with Abraham. This uh, covenant relationship required Israel to remain in communion with God, and specifically, this was the key idea, to refrain from idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, uh, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Central to Israel's life was to be their sole devotion to God alone. Jesus repeated this command. We read it this morning during our second reading, Matthew chapter 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now Israel's that covenant relationship with the Lord involved uh, blessings for obedience. But we see in this passage that it also involved uh, threats about curses for disobedience. See, their disobedience uh, or, or their obedience was to be characterized by love for the Lord and worshiping him alone. And, and God gave them his law to show them how they were to live in their covenant relationship with him. And if Israel uh, failed to live according to the terms of the covenant, they would lose the land, the land that the Lord had given them as an inheritance. And that's the threat that, that Joshua specifically mentions here. Notice again verses 15 and following, the threat for breaking the covenant. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. 
if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God. And so it's significant that, that Joshua here exhorts Israel to be very careful in their covenant relationship with the Lord. That word careful means to give thought and attention to something. It means to, to be attentive, to be conscientious, to be diligent. See, Israel had to be very intentional in their relationship with the Lord because it was a love relationship. We know this from the relationships that we have with one another, don't we? Any relationship that we have with another person, uh, another person that we love, that relationship, that is a loving relationship, requires thought and, and attention and devotion. Think about uh, the relationship between a husband and a wife, between parents and, and children. Now, love in these relationships cannot be taken for granted. It, it needs to be shown through kind words and through thoughtful deeds. And it's the same with our relationship with the Lord. We must never take our relationship with him for granted. Instead, Joshua says we need to be very careful, very thoughtful, very intentional in our love for God. And you might be asking, well, how can I know if I actually love the Lord? Is it a feeling in my heart? Is it a, a feeling in my stomach? Well, you know, that might be the case at first, and that feeling can come and go throughout the Christian life. But Jesus says that if we love him, we will demonstrate it by obeying his commandments. And he says, in fact, that his commandments are not burdensome. In fact, living in obedience to the Lord is a delight for those who love the Lord because we are living according to our new nature. We are living according to what we know pleases our Heavenly Father. We having been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, now delight to do more the will of God than our own will. So our love for God can be measured in our desire for obedience to his commandments. And, you know, our love for the Lord can also be measured in our uh, enjoyment of worshiping him, in our longing to come to worship, to be with the family of God and to sing his praises and, and to read his word together. Our love for God can also be measured by our love for fellow Christians, the way that we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it could even be measured in how we love our neighbors and even our enemies. Because, loved ones, we always have to remember why we actually love God. It's not because we chose to love him or because we're most spe more special than those who do not love God. No, the only reason that we love God is because he first loved us in Christ. 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 7, explains it so clearly. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because he first loved us. This love that is so amazing, that is divine, truly demands our lives, our souls, our all. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we acknowledge that uh, we need your grace every moment of every day. So we pray that you would grant us confident assurance in our faith that we might daily remember your past faithfulness and be uh, assured of your uh, future faithfulness to us. We ask you to grant us strength to stand for truth and to wisely maintain our distinction from uh, this present evil age. And we pray also this morning that you would grant us care in our relationship with you. Uh, We ask that you would fill our hearts daily with love for you, that we might always seek to please you in what we think and do and say. For it's in Christ that we pray. Amen.